Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of leading by example. Jesus is our model for service, not any man, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to Matthew 20. But Jesus called him to himself, his disciples, and he says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's the one. He's the example of service. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In a family, your responsibilities usually increase the older you get. And in the church, God's family, your responsibilities increase when you grow in maturity also. Let's join Pastor Xavier as he continues his series of teachings on the body of Christ called The Nature of the Church. And in today's message, titled The Priesthood and the Believer, we're learning of the important simple truths of glorifying God in His service. Let's listen. The priesthood of the believers is for service, not for showing off, not for boasting, but He has nothing to boast about. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's for service. The Lord Jesus is the primary example. In Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, Jesus in His service was in His contrary to the worldview one of a servant. Listen to him. Jesus said, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Wow. God among men serving. He's the example. Service. We're not to lord over people. We're to serve people. We're to serve one another. Jesus in his service never viewed any task beneath him, even washing the feet of the disciples. The lowest duty of the lowest slave in John 13, 1 through 20. The common conversation that took place at the dinner table there in John 13 was, who is the greatest in the kingdom? That conversation is recorded three times in the Gospels. That means it happened at least 3,000 times. <laughs> The lesson was to serve one another, even Judas. He washed the feet of Judas. Jesus in the service revealed he accomplished by emptying himself and not seeking a reputation. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, he emptied himself of his glory, not of his deity. That's why he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, because he was God. The phrase being in Philippians 2 there is an antecedental condition, which means he was God before he came, he was God when he was here, and he was God when he left. And he's still God. <laughs> it's simple. He wants us to put on his mind of humility and serve sinners and saints. How will we serve sinners? By praying for them. By praying that God open doors so we can minister the gospel. By giving them an example of what a Christian is, visibly. The human example is very much a reality. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1. He wrote to the Philippians, if you remember, there in chapter 1, even as he was in the prison there at Rome, that he appreciated their concern for him because they thought the gospel had come to a halt and that was it. 
but that he was there by divine appointment to further the gospel, and he blew them away. (laughs) Paul saw his imprisonment in Rome as his next assignment. He was there by appointment. He says some people are preaching the gospel now. They were discouraged before, kind of compromised. Now they're being bold, and they're preaching Christ. And others are preaching, hoping to add hurt to me. But I don't really care. As long as Christ is preached, it doesn't matter to me. Wow. Because he knew he was there by appointment. Timothy was a man like-minded as Paul, serving the, in the gospel despite his timidity and his sickness. Philippians 2, 19-22 tells us, Paul says, I have no one like-minded but Timothy. Out of all the servants, he picks Timothy. Amazing. Epaphroditus, there in Philippians also, in chapter 2, 25-30, did not consider his own life and came near to death as he served Paul. And Paul understood the Philippians. They had a pride problem. He said, now when he goes back, don't badmouth him. He's a good example of a servant. He's selfless. Because he could hear people say, ah, empowered that he's a wimp. He wimped out. Look at he got all. No, he says, he's, he almost died because of me. You want an example of a servant, Paul says? You look at Epaphroditus. Here's a true servant. The priesthood of the believer is for service, ladies and gentlemen, not for sitting. Christians don't get it. They begin with the same letter, S, but they're diametrically opposed. Sitting, serving. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He qualifies it. The scriptures are the only thing that can prepare us for service. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Probable for doctrine, correction, instruction that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. All scripture means the old and the new. When he was declared that, there was only the old and the new was being written. They didn't understand that at that point, okay? They used all the Old Testament. But now having the New Testament, we see that they're on equal par. All Scripture is probable for five things, he says here. For doctrine, teaching about spiritual truth. For reproof, for confrontation of error. We have a responsibility to hold each other accountable with the right attitude. Agape love. The motive is not for mere castigation, but for restoration. But the standard is the word, not my opinion. The word. For correction, it says pointing a person to the right way. So we don't just want to point what's wrong. But then after we do that, we want to point them to the right way, right? For the purpose of being altogether equipped to do good, he says. That which brings about healthy growth in teaching and service. For teaching without service produces only self-righteous critics. Murmurs. Because they turn inward. You have to be careful of not just going to church and getting all kinds of information and not being involved in service. You'll become a critic. You become self-righteous. You'll turn inward, and you get weird. If you just eat and eat, eat, you don't exercise, you get a heart attack, right? Well, if you just eat, eat spiritually, you get a spiritual heart attack. You've got to exercise. You've got to put some rubber to the road. We're going to see how that happens in the third point. Now, Jesus said 
He needed to go through Samaria, if you remember, to his disciples. And when they returned from purchasing food, they said to him, Rabbi, eat. And he responded, I have food to eat that you know not of. In John 4, 32, he had just ministered to the Samaritan woman. He had just finished serving a sinner of the worst kind, according to the Jews, a Samaritan, and not a woman who had a shady life. And he served her in order to bring her to salvation. Someone prayed for you. Someone went out of their way to share the gospel with you. Someone took you to church or invited you. Or God in his compassion just reached out to you. It can happen that way. Jesus is our model for service, not any man, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called him to himself, his disciples, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's the model. He's the example of service. The examples of the believers priesthood by Christians throughout history and their service is the standard, the biblical model. Isaiah 6, 8, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, here I am. Send me. And the angel took the coals from the altar, touched his lips, and prepared him. God calls. God anoints. God sends out. In Acts 13, it says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me. Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. The church didn't send them out. The Holy Spirit called them out. That's the problem today. Too many churches send people out rather than the Holy Spirit calling people out. And so they go on the authority of man instead of the authority of God. The Word of God is the only thing we can trust as absolute truth about God, man, sin, death, hell, repentance, and eternal life. Nothing else. Listen to um, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 14. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let him not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord Yahweh, my strength and my redeemer. It's the word of God. In fact, Second Peter chapter 1, 19-21 tells us that the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin. But they were carried along by the Spirit of God so that what you possess in your laps, ladies and gentlemen, is God's inerrant, infallible Word, accurately recorded, just as God intended. This is God's Word. 
Whether you read it, whether you don't read it, whether you believe it, or you do believe it. It doesn't matter. It's God's word. These are not the words of men. The priesthood of the believer then is for service. Not sitting, right? Not for self-analyzation and everything. Yeah. It's for service. Now, at least to the third point, the priesthood of the believer is effective through the gifts of the Spirit. You serve through gifts. I'm just going to give you some references. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4.11, and 1 Peter 4.10. There you have all the gifts in those passages. There are the gifts of revelation in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and 10. The word of knowledge deals with information of the past or the present given by God to an individual, such as Peter when he was entering the temple at the gate called Beautiful, the layman. God gave him a word of wisdom. And he says, silver or gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, I step and walk. A word of knowledge, word of wisdom, a miracle, um, faith, all those things working all at the same time. A word of wisdom deals with handling that information. Do I do something about it or do I pray or sit on it? So it deals with the present towards the future, the application of that knowledge. You see? If God gives you a word of knowledge that somebody's in adultery and God wants you just to pray for them and you blab your mouth, wouldn't help the person very much, would it? So the information is not only important, but what do I do with it? If it's God's information for me, what do I do? Jesus told Peter to go down and get the tax money in the mouth of the fish or the wisdom and pay the taxes. Discerning spirits deals with being aware of evil spirit demons in the midst of people. Many people use this gift discerning, the gift of discerning. There's no such gift. It's discerning of spirits, plural, being able to detect demons that are present. That's the gift that a person would know. Somebody walks in and God will say, he's demon-possessed. Everybody else would know it, but he does. It's a legitimate gift. Then there's the gifts of power in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. Faith is the confident knowledge that God will work by his direction, even as Peter, for the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He knew God was going to heal him, so he had the gift of faith present also. Then there's healings, plural. God's sovereign choice to supernaturally heal a person of whatever sickness, such as the healing of the leprosy of Naaman. So with God, it's not impossible, right? But it's God who does the healing. We don't have healers. We have people that God will use, but they can't turn it on and off. God's the one that does it. Faith is involved, yet God is sovereign. There's the gift of miracles, the act of supernatural intervention to disrupt natural loss of the universe such as the raising of Lazarus. Miracle. Then you have the gifts of inspiration in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Prophecy deals primarily with God supernaturally communicating his word to men in order to speak on God's behalf to men. He uses people for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's through the preaching and through the teaching of God's word. Secondarily, it's predicting the future. Okay? Old Testament, we see some of that prediction. Some of the prophecies of the New Testament. But that's not the primary function of prophecy. The primary function of prophecy of the prophecy of the Old Testament was speaking forth the word of God, being the mouthpiece of God. To proclaim God's word, to call people back to God. And then secondarily, 
the prophets gave some future predictions. But that wasn't the primary. It was a secondary function of a prophet. Then you have tongues, plural. The supernatural ability to speak in an unknown language by God for edification of the believer. It's the only gift that edifies you directly. You don't know what you're saying, nor does anybody else. God has to give the interpretation. They are not earthly languages. They're language from heaven. No one understands them, not even you, if you have the gift of tongues. Okay? Now, does everybody speak in tongues? Should everybody speak in tongues? No. 1 Corinthians 12, 30 says, do all have the gift of teaching? No. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all have the gift of tongues? Yes? No, you can't say yes. It's the same rhetorical question. No. Then how is it that so many people teach that you must speak in tongues as evidence of baptism and that everybody can speak in tongues when it's the least of the gifts? And Paul says, not everybody has it. Assemblies of God, four square churches, and every Pentecostal extreme will teach you that you have to speak in tongues or you're not baptized in the Spirit. It's absolutely unbiblical. Absolutely. Then you have interpretation of tongues, the supernatural ability to interpret the language given by God, spoken by the individual, to receive edification, exhortation, or comfort, because then the interpretation serves just like a prophecy. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Okay? Then you have the administerial gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Apostles are the first, literally those sent out by God, divinely called. Missionaries would be a good example of that today. Prophets are those men who God speaks forth the word of God through supernatural ability as they are his instruments, his vessels, teachers, preachers are included. You speak forth God's word. Evangelists are those men endowed by the supernatural ability to preach the gospel. And the sinners hear that gospel and they repent. My brother has an incredible gift of evangelism. If he sneezes, a thousand people get saved. We look at the man, we go, wow. No, no, no. It's only the instrument. Has got to work. Pastor teachers, one gift, hyphenated. One who supernaturally is anointed to open up the word of God to the understanding of God's word for the people of God to grow and mature. Then you have other gifts, and I'll just kind of enumerate them for you here. They are found there in Romans 12, 8. Uh, verse 12 and also in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. Exhortation, supernatural ability to get a person to act on what they know they should do. And some people have the gift of exhortation. They just encourage people and, they, and they, they respond. It's great. Giving is a supernatural willingness to give of one's own natural resources and materials. Love is the motive. And there's the ability that God gives. Some people have the gift of giving. Now, I've never had anybody ask me to pray for them for the gift of giving in the 30 years that I've been a Christian. Of the 38 years I've been a Christian, a minister about 34. Never. But they asked me to pray for the gift of tongues, miracles, prophecy. But never for the gift of giving. You see? It shows us where we're at, right? <laughs> and usually the people who have the gift of giving, they don't have that much. But they just seem to give all the time. That's interesting. Administration is a supernatural ability to oversee and govern the direction and the business of the church. Not through corporate management principles but through God's wisdom and his word and the anointing of God. Mercy is a supernatural dispensing, dispensing of compassion to those who need it. Helps the supernatural ability to aid others in their need. 
in a way that you don't make them feel indebted. You do it nonchalant. God anoints you to do it. We are one body, yet many members. Not one person is insignificant. For everyone has at least one gift of the Spirit, 1 Peter 4.10. At least one. What is your gift? If you don't know it, you need to seek God. Don't come to me. You go to God and say, Lord, what is my gift? And then jump into the church and serve because it's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one to sit and still. And he will direct you to line you up with your gift. Trust me. The church without gift for service is as ineffective as a mechanic without tools. <laughs> Sadly, too often the gifts of the Spirit are abused and misused in churches. The gifts of revelation, the word of knowledge, or the wisdom, discerning of spirits, are used to manipulate and control people and to exalt themselves as if they are always hearing from God. The Lord told me to tell you this, and you're going. Or if, as they are closer to God than you. Or as if they are more spiritual than others when they're not. Those are all facades. The gifts of power, faith, miracles, and healing are also abuse to impress and deceive people. Falsifying healing sometimes, planning people in auditoriums, practicing things that are not biblical, slaying in the spirit, dancing in the spirit, laughing in the spirit, flying like animals. Weird stuff. Circuses in town. The inspirational gifts of prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues are exercised in a disorderly manner often, giving greater value to those that are flashy gifts, such as tongues, prophecy, so on and so forth. The gifts of tongues, again, being exalted as if everybody has to, again, I've given you the denominations that believe you should. They're wrong, absolutely unbiblical. Let all things be done decent and in order, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 gives us how to operate those gifts. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. The three problematic gifts in the Corinthian church. The gifts are supernatural gifts, ladies and gentlemen, not abilities or talents that we learn. They're endowed by God. They're distributed severally by God for edification of the body of Christ, not primarily for your edification right off the bat. The gifts are for the glory of God, not man. And the gifts are for the edification and effectiveness for the function and operation of the church body. That God is glorified. And all believers are endowed with spiritual gifts to serve the body. At the very minimal, you have one gift. As I said in 1 Peter 4.10. And so you need to seek that gift. The priest of the believer is effective through the gifts of the Spirit. And so what a privilege we have that we are priests of God and you serve as God directs you. And then God will use you tremendously. And so this is what the Bible teaches about the priesthood of the believers. The priesthood of the believer is based on their identity with Jesus Christ. Simple. The priesthood of the believer is for service, not sitting. And the priesthood of the believer is effective through the gifts of the Spirit. Not talents, not abilities. There's a big difference. So I pray that God speak to your heart as well as mine. And that you be a servant of the Most High. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder about our responsibility of being a member of the family of God. And you can hear this program again by selecting the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Or if you prefer your own personal copy of today's challenging study titled The Priesthood and the Believer, it's available for just $4. Everything we heard the last time we were together will be included as well. Request it by name, The Priesthood and the Believer, when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Contrary to our common practice, the church is not merely a series of programs, but a living organism powered by the Holy Spirit. Join Pastor Xavier Reese as he explores this incredible phenomenon next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 